This is episode 59 with Maxwell Salzberg. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey, welcome back to another episode. This is Crowdfunding Uncut. And if you have followed along the last couple of episodes, you'll know that our focus for right now has shifted to what do you do after you crowdfund? Um, We've talked with Sculp Volker from the Amazing Seller Podcast on how to launch an Amazon store. And we've also spoken with one of my clients with how to get your products placed in major retail stores. And this week we're it's not more a sales focus, but it's more a focus on the hardest part of crowdfunding, which no, it's not getting customers. It's actually fulfilling orders and getting your product to your customers once your campaign is ended. And uh, I'm actually bringing on one of our sponsors of the show, Max Salzberg from BackerKit. And I wanted to bring him on because he's got great story where um, they had a very successful Kickstarter campaign back in 2010 and because of the headaches that they faced around fulfilling orders he actually created his own company BackerKit to help other creators with software tools to be able to get and organize shipments and fulfillments and upsells and and all that stuff that takes place after crowdfunding um, between here and there. So I'm really excited to get Maxwell on the show to, you know, just talk about not only what BackerKit does, because yes, they're one of the leading industry um, leaders with this, with crowdfunding, because they've helped over 2,000 project creators and fulfilled orders to more than three and a half million backers. But it's not about that. He brings up some really great points and red flags that other creators need to be aware of when you're actually setting up your campaign. And these are things that you never will see until you're actually in the trenches trying to do this yourself. So if you are also in the process of setting up your own Kickstarter campaign, you should check out our new freebie. We just released a uh, physical product checklist on crowdfundinguncut.com. There will be a link for that in the show notes, but the checklist will help you with your entire launch plan before you launch and what you do during launch to make sure that you've accounted for every part of your crowdfunding campaign. And although it's geared mostly towards physical products, there are a lot of there are a lot of overlaps with um, just any general crowdfunding project that you will have. So to grab that freebie, go to crowdfundinguncut.com. But why don't I shut up and we actually start the show? All right, let's go to the interview. So, man, you have quite the track record. I have a great story we're getting it into, but um, this is an interesting podcast because before you guys, with founder of BackerKit, before you actually um, sponsored the podcast, I wanted to interview you. And so once you started sponsoring, I'm like, I don't care. I still want to hear about your story because you guys are one of the original campaigns of Kickstarter before crowdfunding was even a thing. So, um I'm just so excited to like dig in and hear your story. Yeah, yeah. So like, can you tell me what diaspora is and like just your story and how you got into the crowdfunding world back in 2010? Yeah. No, um, yeah, so diaspora still is. It's a open source project that's uh, sort of committed to building an open source distributed social network. So this is a social network that, you know, isn't necessarily owned by one party, but sort of 
is run by a series of people who want to participate, and um, but all of the different nodes can interoperate. So in the same way that like if you have a Gmail account, you can email someone who has a Yahoo account. It doesn't matter as, as long as you have an email address, you can participate in email. It's, uh, with Diaspora, it's kind of still the same thing, and it's become a pretty significant open source project used by a lot of people all over the world. It's pretty popular in Germany, actually. But uh, but yeah, it was kind of uh, started as a Kickstarter project. I started with my friends back in 2010. Really, the original impetus for it was like we wanted a summer project right when we were graduating school and didn't want to get real jobs for a summer. Um, okay. So we thought we'd raise $10,000 on this new website called Kickstarter, which I knew about because a acquaintance of mine from college was started working there and mm -hmm. thought it could be an interesting way to raise a little bit of money so we could go eat ramen, go to a cabin in the woods and just hack for three months and then put it on our resume. Um, about finals time of 2010, we put up the campaign and it just kind of told maybe three or four people and then it just ended up completely blowing up. Uh, the message kind of resonated with everybody and, um, you know, it was an interesting project just from the sense that most people didn't know what crowdfunding was when, mm -hmm. when Diaspora happened. And uh, so nobody knew of sort of what the ceiling was, what it would become, what you know, what was even possible, what you should offer, what kind of rewards, what kind of marketing. None of that was like yeah. written at all. Like, nobody knew anything. So, um, you know, it definitely was like a little bit of luck, right place, right time. But, you know, having a, uh, you know, an honest message and, you know, well, you can don't go watch the video. But if you watch the video, you know, it's super raw, just shot oh on like God. a flip cam that's like balanced on an overhead projector in a classroom at like 2 a.m. And it's super janky, but it's really real and honest. And it was just us speaking from our hearts and saying we want to do this thing. And here's sort of the basic idea. And please help us out. And, you know, we had no idea when we put up our page, like whether it would even fund. You know, I think one of my co-founders like and I had a had an argument whether we should our goal should be nine or ten thousand dollars. Like that was a, like that was the almost, thing. Almost a, like fisticuffs that we get about like what it should be, should be higher or lower. Um, you know, but it ended up just going nuclear. It was actually the first Kickstarter project ever to break six figures and was the number one project on Kickstarter for actually don't quote me on any amount of time. I think it was somewhere between three and six months, not I won't 100% hold you to sure. That. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, yeah, it was definitely a number one project. And uh, you know, it was like the first time Kickstarter even got mentioned in a lot of press was articles about diaspora, and yeah, it was just this whole crazy process. And you know, um, and it was a great project. I mean, you know, we worked on it for long time it went through a lot of different iterations it you know got a big community outpouring of support you know there was good things there was bad things um but it was this whole crazy process but you know part of it was that was really surprising you know i mean we had very strange problems and this goes to show you how early kickstarter is like when we would post a project update during the first 30 days of the campaign like kickstarter would cr go down for like five minutes <gasps> So, so it's like, I mean, we're talking about like, this is pretty early days, so it's, that doesn't happen anymore. So, yeah, that doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. But, um, you know, so it's a little bit of a different time, but, but we had this interesting problem that was a great problem to have, which is like, I thought, you know, maybe a couple hundred people would throw in money. I thought I'd like know most of the people. We offered like shirts and stars, CDs with the code on it. And I thought I was going to screen print them in my bathtub and like burn them on my computer or something. Um, and pretty much the campaign ended, and then I had to, I had like almost 7,000 people who just were like 
wanted to give us a big hug over the internet and you know they're just emailing you all the time and they're really excited and they're like how do i help how do i get a second one of this how do i do this that and, you know there was this little bit of this weird thing it was like wait you gave us money to make this thing awesome like leave me alone a little bit so i can actually go like do what i but ask for money to do that's not what I happens kinda, yeah um it's kind of you know you kind of inherit like 27 full-time jobs that whether you know it or not um and you know it's definitely like a first-class problem to have. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but um, yeah, there, there's something awesome about you know it's kind of the world's greatest problem on earth. You know, you have thousands of dollars from thousands of people for something you haven't really like finished inventing yet. Yeah. And uh, there's kind of a you know really really interesting kind of dynamic that goes into you know how you need to actually make the thing when you already have eyeballs and and the means to do it it's just incredible because like i advise start um i advise crowdfunding campaigns on the side and just you <laughs> looking at your campaign video is amazing to me because i just got off a call with someone where we're storyboarding like a very intricate video to get the hook of the audience right and to show mm -hmm. the features properly and keep it less than three minutes and that's just like a um shows you how much go uh, launch prep goes into some of these campaigns now and you need that because of how much attention and um, competition is on these websites now but back then it was like if you have a great idea it just took off with very little effort yeah it's I mean just... I think you know it, it's interesting because certainly projects have gotten way more sophisticated especially since there's more projects that you have to kind of compete with so yeah. you know you have to do whatever you can to like make it seem cooler than, you know, maybe another project that you're, you know, in a lot of ways kind of competing against, uh, you know, for people's attention at least. Yeah. Um, however, I think, like, there's uh, there's bad production quality on the video. You know, it wasn't scripted. It was, like, poorly edited and, you know, and, like, slightly off frame too. But um, I think the, the core thing about the Diaspora video that still resonates, that I think is still actually the fundamental important thing, which is just, like, you kind of have to tell an honest story mm -hmm. and sort of prove to people why you're the person put on earth to sort of like work on this project. And I mean, I think there's maybe other strategies you could also do, but I would say if I had to pick out one characteristic of every successful Kickstarter video, it's just that like the honest fact that this creator feels like they're put on earth to, to, do, to, accomplish you know, this to thing. do this thing. And, uh, you know, and certainly there's people who just do little marketing videos and they're very successful. And I'm not trying to say that needs to be there. But I think that that's one cool thing is that, like, people definitely on crowdfunding respond to, you know, an honest presentation of here's me. Here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. Help me. Your founder story, essentially. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's that's important. And you want to just, like, be truthful and be real. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, you do get a lot of slick things and slick things sometimes work. But even if you don't have a slick story to tell, I think being honest and straightforward and just kind of like, hey, I'm I have an awesome idea. I'm an awesome person. You know, like this is my dream. This is why you should care. Would love your support. You know, is like yeah. the basic story arc that, you know, definitely still works today. I love it. And uh, you probably get this question, but if you were to start over and you want diaspora today on Kickstarter. How do you think your campaign would have been different? Oh golly. Um, Surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, I think like one thing that I think is a little bit different about Kickstarter today 
and I don't know, I won't say if it's necessarily good or bad, mm-hmm. but um, you have to be a little bit further along than with than we were with diaspora. Diaspora was a little bit of an idea. It's a little bit of an ideology. Mm-hmm. It, it was also like we were technically asking for money to experiment with these ideas that we were talking about. Like we didn't have something ultra tangible. Like we didn't know what features it was going to have. We didn't know. It was sort of like a let us work on this and see what we can do when we just like don't think about anything else other than just doing this one problem. And mm-hmm. we'll share with you what, what we come up with was sort of the like key ask, which I don't think is tangible enough today. Like, you know, half the time, you know, if you're doing an electronics project or some sort of gadget or some sort of physical item, you know, they're like, have a prototype of it. Know what its basic functionality is going to be. Like, yeah, maybe stuff will kind of shift slightly, but you need to be a lot further along in the inception of the idea, which I think is also has to do with what we were talking about before, the professionalization. Yeah. And the backer trust levels too. Yeah, it's definitely, although it, you know, it's gotten very interesting too, because certainly like people didn't know, I, you know, who knows with with diaspora since our sort of key pitch was this idea, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe people wanted the t-shirt or something, which was a cool (laughs) t-shirt. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to contribute to this, but I'm going to sort of vote with my dollar and, you know, support this idea. But now I think, you know, more people than ever do know what crowdfunding is and what it's all about, but you know, there's the inherent skepticism that comes with that. And yeah. you know, people have heard about one that went sideways or maybe they were even a part of one. And, you know, so it's, it's definitely an interesting thing. Yeah. I'm thinking like, cause I get, I get people coming to me with like, okay, how should I frame my campaign? And I'm, I find that I'm now, um, screening people based on, or giving advice based on two kinds of campaigns. So if you have a physical product, um, people are either coming because, wanting to launch on Kickstarter because they want to fund to create a prototype or they, number two is they have a prototype and are ready to take it to manufacturing. And because of the bad rep that crowdfunding is getting right now and because of the inexperience of startups with manufacturing, I'm advising people really not to do crowdfunding until you have that working prototype almost because then you work out a lot of the kinks. Um, What's, you you do with fulfillment and stuff. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, uh, you know, in terms of uh, it's my day job, you know, we work with, like, the successful projects, so a little bit there's some self-selection. But yeah. I do think, like, you need to have some sort of working prototype for most things, which is to say that in this day and age, that's also, I think, you know, another sort of macroeconomic trend, which is that it's gotten easier to make prototypes of things. And prototypes don't necessarily need to be full-functioning or even you know, production quality or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you're making a lot of gadgets, you know, you could probably 3D print things. If you're making electronics, you could use Arduinos or, you know, like it could be the sort of called janky thing that looks scary. It looks like a bomb or something. But like, as long as it like does the fundamental interaction of what you're trying to do, it turns out, you know, I mean, if you're going to be able to make a production quality, if you have the skills to be an electrical engineer to do that, you should have the electrical engineer skills to like, you know, hack together some stuff to, to do it or, you know, um, or if, you know, you're trying to crowdfund a new clothing line or something, you should be able to like, you know, sew up some templates yourself or something. So, I mean, I think like, I think it's an important exercise in just fleshing out what you want to ask for and why do you care? And not to mention that the prototypes itself also actually serve as good proof of your sort of like dedication to the project. Oh, I know. 
Yeah, it's great because it shows your resourcefulness financially to, like, one of the creators I'm working with right now, he didn't have the money, but he found an angel investor to fund the prototype, yeah. right? Because you're just in a better position to show people this thing really works yeah. as well. Well, and, and to some degree, like, a crowdfunding project, like, fulfilling it, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you know, running a crowdfunding project, like, the 30 days on Kickstarter and the prep and, and you know, hit set, that's the easy part. Right, like getting funded is the easy part. I right, know. it's like actually doing it when you don't have that serotonin rush of every time you go up to get a cup of coffee, somebody else pledges 50 bucks. It's like the moment the campaign's over, the money stops coming in, and then emails come in of people with questions, and then there's a delay, and then you have to do yeah. all this other stuff, and then you got to do accounting, and then you got to go talk to them. You got to do all this stuff. That's you know honestly real work. It's hard work. It's super hard to make a real thing. It, um, even today, it's easier than it's ever been, and it's still the hardest part of the whole process, yeah. and probably forever will be. And uh, Which, I have a story about that. Um, but yeah, bef- before, but uh, yeah, yeah. So to some degree, you know, I think that, you know, I, I think that that's also like an important thing too. That like, you know, making a prototype is sort of an important sort of first step in saying I'm willing to put in the elbow grease. That's not glamorous. That's the real kind of where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. So I, I think it's pretty important to like. Or at least prove to yourself, too, that you're put on here, on put on earth to actually do this thing. I mean, it's, I think it, it, oh, it sounds good to have a bunch of money and a bunch of excited people, but uh, it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's definitely, like, not an easy thing. It's definitely mm-hmm. having a successful crowdfunding project is kind of just a little bit just like strapping a ticking time bomb to your chest, you know. And you can either disarm it and it's really good or it could, you know, it can really blow up in your face if you, you know maybe make mistakes whether honest or not so yeah like pricing wise all that yeah. stuff right yeah or yeah. you know the lot doesn't work out or shipping prices change or it doesn't work as well as you like originally thought it did yeah. or and there's like a bajillion things that maybe are even both within and without or excuse me that are part of, under your control and not under your control that mm-hmm. can happen so there's a lot of a lot of a lot of hazards of the trade, I guess. Yeah, and that's partially what this podcast is about, to see what it's really like to be a creator and deliver something. Absolutely. Um, so I was, I love how you, you had a digital product you raised money for, but you use physical products as a way to fund that. Um, I'm wondering what sort of rewards you had. You, you mentioned T-shirts. Yeah. What else have you so, like? so, so this is, uh, I mean, again, this is like pro, like Jurassic level, Jurassic Park level Kickstarter in that, yeah. you know, this was like, there wasn't a lot of prior art. Um, t-shirts were our number one, uh, seller by far. It was like a $25. Mm-hmm. Luckily, like my aunt has a t-shirt printing company. So I was able to, you know, that was actually a funny problem we had, like when we were trying to solve it, you know, like people didn't know what crowdfunding was. Like they didn't know what Kickstarter was. I was a, you know, 22-year-old kid, and I would call up some places being like, I need to ship 7,000 T-shirts all over the world, but, like, I don't have the money yet because it's still in this clearinghouse because at the time they were using uh, Amazon Payments, and Amazon Payments used to take, like, a couple months to get your money. Like, it used to be – but I was, like, trying to figure it out, and, like, a lot of these places just, like, hung up the phone on me being like, kid, you don't have $200,000. Like, you don't – I'm not going to send – I'm not going to start making these 7,000 T-shirts. Yeah. Uh, luckily, like – Actually, my aunt, though, like, knew how to get T-shirts made and was, like, fine. With, like, financing well, like, terms or whatever? Do this. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, she just, like, knew that we would, I mean, yeah, I mean, we were so unprepared to have that amount of money. I mean, the Kickstarter was originally hooked up to, you know, my student checking account or something. <laughs> like, 
you know, she knew that the money was going to come eventually, but like nobody knew what Kickstarter was. You give them this page being like, yes, I have 200,000 internet dollars, you know, um, please, please just do this work. And knowing that whenever I get you, get the money, I can pay for it, you know? Um, so, okay. So we had the t-shirt at $25, which by and far, you know, and I think our thinking there was like, let's make a t-shirt that's not absorbently priced so people could still contribute. Mm -hmm. But then they're like, I've maybe paid $25 for a t-shirt before. Um, we had like burned CDs of the code, which were the most worthless reward that actually hilariously my friend and contact at Kickstarter at the time recommended we do for our $5 backers. Okay. That was the biggest mistake ever just because one, it was a worth, it's pretty much a drink coaster because the day after we burned them, you know, we pushed new code to it. So it was out of date instantly, basically. But uh, it was more meant to be just like a token of appreciation type thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it was still annoying. Like, again, I thought I was going to have, you know, a couple hundred backers. I thought I could just, like, have a bad weekend where I, like, burned CDs over and over again. But then I had to, like, go get, like, 10,000 pressed or something. Like, I was, you know, a band or something. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, we had to make stickers, which actually that was definitely the easiest one. Because even in 2010, there were sticker places that were pretty turnkey. But, you know, then we had to, like find a fulfillment house and, you know, write a little note to that we photocopied 10,000 times and, you know, mail to everybody. But, um, yeah, in terms of the rewards, those were kind of the, the basic things. And, you know, I definitely think like, it's funny because I think like the t-shirt and Kickstarter has like gotten this bad rap a little bit because I think it can uh, for the right project be a really good thing that shouldn't be that hard. It's just that, um, t-shirt a lot of times actually is a red herring for fulfillment it's the easiest one to like pre-spec out and like pick a vendor for. Mm-hmm. So what happens is like before someone launches a campaign, they pick their t-shirt vendor, but then maybe they like call a couple fulfillment centers, but they don't actually figure out which one they're going to use until maybe afterwards. Like they get three bids, mm-hmm. but then they don't pick the other one. But then what ends up happening is that like the person they picked to do the t-shirt like is affecting like, oh, this one's farther away from the fulfillment center I want to use. So it's going to cost more money to ship the t-shirts to that fulfillment center. So I guess I have to use this one I'd like less because it's slightly closer. And like, that's a real cost I never thought about. Whereas for a lot of the things like t-shirts, you want to wait till the last possible moment to figure out how to make that because so many places can make t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? So it's, it's like kind of this funny thing where like a lot of times people do research about the easiest parts when really you kind of like want to start from the hardest part and let the easiest parts kind of fall in place Logistics. around it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, that was kind of an interesting thing too, just because, you know, it's like we had to, sorry, kind of this legs are falling. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we, you know, it was an interesting issue just because, you know, people don't think about that. They're trying to like be really prepared mm-hmm. and, you know, try to figure out as much as the stuff, but sometimes you don't, you figure out like an easy part first and then it ends up like shoehorning you down a path that's not actually the easiest path for the hardest problem. So I'm wondering, you created BackerKit because of the headaches that you experience with um, fulfilling diaspora. Mm-hmm. So what is like, what is the top headache that you experience with fulfillment? Well, I mean, I think uh, just to take a little bit of a step back, I mean, a lot of the problems you have post Kickstarter, you know, are kind of that, problem which I said which is you have thousands of people who giving you thousands of dollars for something you haven't 
100% figured out every last detail of it. Yeah. Because let's be honest, if you're doing a crowdfunding project, you're a little bit puffing your chest out, putting your best foot forward, projecting the best possible case scenario for something. We all know that like not everybody has everything, you know, figured out and eyes deed and times crossed. Because then you'd just be selling it on Amazon or whatever. If yeah. That was the case. Um, and which is so funny because it's so much. It's also a funny part is. A lot of times when I talk to people about backer kit, they say they're that, and then slowly you start to like poke through their armor, and then they admit that like, yeah, there's a few things I haven't figured out yet. Yeah. But um, but uh, you know, we we kind of jokingly say backer kit helps you solve these a thousand paper cuts of crowdfunding. So it's everything from having to manage tons of spreadsheets to figuring out how much of everything exactly what you need to make to where it needs to go make sure people pay for the right amount of shipping to make sure that everybody who wants a second t-shirt just because gets one mm-hmm. make sure that if they want to ship one t-shirt to their grandma and one t-shirt to them um if they we also help them with you know project creators with sort of frontline backer support um, or also integrating with your fulfillment center turns out that's a huge um issue is you know just getting the data that comes from kickstarter that's not ready to be fulfilled and turns out that if you do that by hand, you're introducing, you know, human error as a oh, possibility yes. to something. There should be no human error, uh, no human touch, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff. I mean, BackerKit is as much of a process as it is a software. And it's also, we're also a, a super smart team that have, you know, helped fulfill, you know, more than 2,000 projects yeah. at this point. So we've seen it all, um, you know. And, yeah, because a weird thing about, you know, Fulfilling a crowdfunding project is like the alternate reality evil twin of normal like e-commerce fulfillment, you know, partially just because, you know, you have all the money and the orders before you have the product warehoused Mm -hmm. in a place. So it turns out just when there's all this latency between when the the order, the the pledge gets created and when you actually are shipping the stuff, so many weird things happen that a lot of systems don't even try to solve because – they don't ever have that problem because like within 15 minutes of you ordering something, it's already on the UPS truck. So, so it's interesting um, because, you know, people don't think about address changes being a huge thing. I mean, we've seen as much as like 30% of people moving or updating their address. And, you know, um, if you're a small company and you're shipping stuff and you send something to the wrong address, your backer is going to just expect you to reship it, whether it came back to you or not. Like, you know, uh, people are used to buying stuff on Amazon and or Walmart it's or whatever. Just one touch, right? Yeah. What's well, one touch, but also like if there's any problem, they'll just send you a new one. But if yeah. you're someone making, you know, a lot of 5,000 electronic gadgets and like each one costs you 60 bucks and this one went to the person's old address and it's kind of exactly their fault. But if you don't yeah. send it to them, they're just going to go rage. So you got to resend it. So, you know, making sure that, you know, you don't even have, you know, one-tenth of one percent of those getting screwed up is a huge, huge problem for you mm-hmm. as a small business. And people just trying to, like, you know, in a lot of ways, like, get out from under this obligation that you've made to people. So, you know, so, yeah, backer can, it helps with a bunch of stuff. You know, I think a lot of our customers, uh, you know, we'll talk about also, like, the add-ons and that kind of stuff that kind of helps, you know, Backers pick exactly what they want and also help them raise a little bit more money too. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, really, you know, our goal is just to, like, help project creators, like, do what they want to do why they started the project, which is to, like, make something cool. Exactly. And if we can help them, like, do that more often, then that's when we know we've succeeded. Yeah. I can tell you, um, two of the campaigns I was on, it was a nightmare, just understatement, like, 
first one, we hired a virtual assistant to, because like the way it works, if someone's never done a campaign, is um, you get one a new customer detail per perk that they order. So if you have someone order three different things, you have three different customer profiles. So if someone wants an address change, you have to change it three different times with it. So we had like, I don't know, paid like 40 hours or something for a VA to go through our 2,000 backers and make customer profiles of it. But even then, human error. Or my favorite with the shock clock that I was on, we made all these like cool perks like, hey, if you order this one, we can fulfill it before this date. And then this one, it was like, and then of course, after the campaign closes, me and the, um, like the main dude I was working with is like, oh my God, do you, you don't, you don't realize the beast that we've just created. And we spent like an entire weekend making algorithms on Excel, trying to like conglomerate data. It was a freaking mess. And we still have like, even after we had three people look over this Excel spreadsheet beast, uh, we still have customers that are like, hey, I ordered the get it now option back in May and it's almost September. And we're like, oh my God, we're missing people. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's <sighs> super easy to make a mess, right? Yeah. And, and like, you know, and it, what's what's also interesting and kind of, again, why I started Backerkit a little bit is like some of the complexity is good. It gives the campaigns meat. It makes them interesting. <laughs> you don't just want people saying, I'm going to send you a print on demand T-shirt if you order at the $35 level. Like you don't want it to be robotic. Like part of the reason why a campaign is cool is because, you know, you're offering stuff or you're kind of pushing the limits a little bit. But um, the important thing is to figure out what kind of complexity is good complexity and can be automated and can be, you know, make it seem have depth, but at the same time, like you don't spend weeks when, you know, you should be, yeah, like going to China and talking to your manufacturing or going to your factory, wherever you're getting it made and like building out the kinks and stuff. Like this is the last thing you should be doing is, you know, but with that being said, the flip side is if you get it wrong it's over right like 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 the backer is very unhappy if you don't ship your thing and they paid for it to come early that is a bummer for them too so you know for us we kind of see it as like look of course the project creators want to do right by their backers mm-hmm. but you know the reality is sometimes the backers don't realize sort of the amount of work and extra leg room and and whatnot that takes to like have the kind of experience that maybe they're used to when they get something online and uh so you know that's that's really where what what backer kid is trying to help enable is kind of help help you kind of wrangle this whole beast you know, i guess crazy beast yeah and one thing i like too is you offer upsells or like yeah. the potential for upselling so instead of me like having my um handling my own fulfillment i can be doing email marketing to these people and doing upsells and having live e-commerce even before my e-commerce Amazon Shopify site is up, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. I mean, there's kind of two different things, everything from like pre-orders, which is like a, you know, sort of a no-brainer thing that actually a lot of project creators are really worried about after their campaign, which my personal opinion is that they probably over-worry about it. It's like less of a less of a part of what they need to be worrying about right. than they should, but we do offer it. But also, um, we also have this add-on feature that we kind of built um, mostly out of a place of, trying to actually convenience for project creators because for example with diaspora afterwards you know 
we only had one t-shirt perks or whatever, but I had people just PayPaling me 25 extra dollars and say, <laughs> hey, I need two t-shirts, uh, send me the money, no problem, right? Like just send me a second one. And I was kind of like at the time, you know, I'd get it when I was, you know, out with friends or something in the email that some random person sent me $25. And I'm like, what do I do with this? Like, where do I put this? How do I make sure that the, I of course want to do it? That's fine. If, if that's what this person wants and they're going to just like throw money at me, of course I'm going to do it. But, uh, you know, but like, how do you keep track? So, so really, we actually started doing the add-ons as a way for so many backers, you know, over pledge an Indiegogo or Kickstarter mm -hmm. or decide they want one later. And so the add-ons just started to be as like, this is just an interface for people who want to like kind of pick and choose a little bit of extra of something. Yeah. Um, you can just do it and they don't have to like tell you about it. You can just give them the ability to sort of help you by helping themselves. So and do you see Indiegogo's in demand as more of a competitive feature or how do you like oh uh absolutely not i mean like every in-demand project uh needs backer kit just because uh you know i mean one thing that's awesome about in-demand you know it gives kickstarter project uh, presumably they most of in-demand projects are going from kickstarter mm -hmm. you know it gives them access to the new community which they do have a lot of um you know different look different different audience there um, so that's super great. And, you know, I mean, I guess, yeah, like some people use pre-sales, some people use in demand, some people use both, but, uh, you actually increase your complexity a lot of fulfilling your product when you do an in demand off of a Kickstarter, just because, you know, Kickstarter has its warts mm -hmm. and Indiegogo has its warts. But the problem is that they're different warts. And so now you have to deal with the intersection of both of them, which is now exponential problems. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of good for us, you know, uh, more business, of course, because it's like, you know, like, oh, you you had one problem. Now you have three problems, you know, um, but, you know, it definitely is another great way to, you know, keep the momentum going and make more money and get access to a new community of people. And, you know, I think the key thing is, is just to make sure that you're willing to take on sort of the extra work right. that is, you know, it's hard enough to understand the sign of quirky parts of Kickstarter post Kickstarter. And it's like the quirky parts of Indiegogo are like different, but equal. I get that. Um, so when do you guys usually come into a campaign? Like when is the best time for someone to bring you on? Yeah, well, so, so definitely uh, if you're planning a campaign right now, mm -hmm. something that we're always happy to do is you can just submit your project on our website and we'll give you like a once over from the perspective of fulfillment. Obviously, I won't, I, you know, it, it depends on so many factors about how much it costs and where it's going and that kind of stuff. But we'll kind of tell you, like, hey, if you promise this, you won't want to pull your hair out. Or, like, if you promise it in this way, you're going to want to, you know, just, you're going to regret ever doing that. But if you tweak it slightly, this is going to be way easier to deal with and it's not any less special. Okay. Sometimes people kind of, you know, dig their own grave a little bit in certain things that they practice. And we kind of know what's easy to deal with and what's hard to deal with. Um, so for people who, if you haven't planned with, that's a great time to at least get us to, you know, happy to like free look at it. Doesn't take very long. Um, generally though, uh, and a lot of times projects that we've sort of vetted, you know, they'll go live with us and we've, you know, done so many projects too. It's kind of a, you know, a lot of backers like knowing that there's, you know, they, that the, their project creators aren't going to spend all this time and, you know, this craziness afterwards. But, um, right. but a lot of projects, you know, um, we can get involved. As long as you haven't sent that Kickstarter survey, we can help you. So sometimes okay. we have people whose campaigns ended years ago 
and they haven't sent out the survey, and so we're still able to help them. Oh, great. Okay. So, so, yeah, so, so, so it's, okay. it's pretty much any time before you try to collect information. And with that being said, we've even helped some people who have maybe already tried to gone down the dark path and uh, realize the error of their ways. Uh, you know, it depends on the situation, but yeah, yeah. You know, we're even sometimes able to help those people too. Okay, so it's just a matter of exporting backer data and then uploading it into your Actually, platform. it's all automated. You just kind of sign oh. up a backer kit and just plug everything in and everything just automatically gets synced up. All your pledge levels, your backers, nice. your tiers, all your shipping fees, everything that you've set up actually just automatically gets imported to backer kit, so. Awesome. Oops, I did it again. I forgot to thank our friends over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. If you guys are looking at physical products and wondering how the heck you're going to fulfill them, BackerKit has an amazing software platform that can help you fulfill orders once your campaign is done. And they can handle customer upsells, surveys, and all that stuff so that you don't need to get lost in spreadsheets once your campaign is over. You can actually focus on selling and doing what you are supposed to do, which is take care of your customers. Um, and be the front of the business as opposed to, as I said, get lost in spreadsheets because it is no fun. You can head over to backerkit.com for more information. Since you've worked with like over 2,000 creators, what is the, do you have any horror stories of what you've seen mistakes people or campaigns make in fulfillment? <sighs> yeah, I mean, you know, fulfillment is surprisingly, even in 2016, you know, it is a mostly backwards business. You know, I mean, it's, it's a hard problem, right? Everything is physical, right? So we're also used to being so digital and everything's so easy and it's just an app or a tap away. Um, but at the same time with, with physical stuff, you know, you got to get it in a box. You got to get it from point A to point B. If it gets damaged, if it's the wrong thing. So there's a million and one ways that everything can go wrong. You know, I've had everything from like certain waves of people didn't put tape on the boxes and <laughs> mailed them all and they all got shipped out and everything fell out oh to, you know, like, um, people miss, we had two, you know, two, I mean, it's the really silly things, but like, you know, the labels on the shelves got swapped and the boxes were pretty much the same. And so everybody was supposed to get this, got that. And everybody oh got that, got this. And, you know, um, and then sometimes it's just like, oh, we accidentally sent this person a size seven instead of a size six. But, um, you know, I mean, uh, craziest problem. I mean, a lot of times like people will like, we've had some customers that like let backers pick which limited edition number they got of a certain thing, which is like, and then they try to say, well, like list your top three things. And based on when you respond, that's the priority that will pick that list from but it's kind of messy you know you don't want to do that i mean there, there's some things that are like obvious but there's also things that are like less obvious um you know i mean think the, the the most maybe the most fundamental thing is is figuring out what to charge for shipping is a really difficult challenge on kickstarter primarily because you haven't made a production version of your thing so you don't know how much it weighs you don't know how big it is you don't know what the packaging is going to look like almost by definition of doing this crowdfunding project. Mm -hmm. So how can you charge the right amount for shipping at the time of your project, which is actually the right time that you should be charging just because, you know, whenever you're doing a Kickstarter project, you know, you want to optimize for conversion. So, you know, so with shipping, I guess, and that's, that I would say is my preferred advice there um, is like optimize for like the most amount of people doing it right versus making it a hundred percent perfect for, 
as many people as you can, right? So if this guy maybe actually it costs $5 more and this guy costs $5 less, if it's super easy and everybody pays $20 and you're guaranteed to make sure everybody pays you $20, that's much better than like making it $25 for that person and $15. Right. So you're just saying where you choose the country and then the shipping amount, just keep it international, all one flat rate and then national. Well, I mean like you can do a few things and, and Kickstarter has gotten a little bit better since you can specify per country, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't over optimize there too much just because, uh, again, you just want to make it easy and straightforward. Like you're trying to get people to pledge. So, you know, you definitely incur a complexity cost yeah. when you, when you add it to be really like twitchy. Uh, so, you know, you kind of want to almost for your sanity too, right? I mean, you need to kind of optimize for your own sanity at the end of it too. Yeah. Like so many people, you know, are coming from a good place where they're trying to do the right thing by their customers and trying to, you know, make it the best deal they possibly can. But, um, you know, but at the end of the day, like you need to live a fight another day. So if you add all this complexity in to it and, you know, and it's you can't handle it, then nobody's going to be happy at the end of the day. Uh, and I guess actually, but the one thing that is not even a fulfillment thing, but I think it's something to set yourself up success, which is don't be afraid. And, and I would say it's a requirement. Mm -hmm. You must add margin to whatever prices you're charging on Kickstarter. I see frequently people underprice things. And th granted, it depends on what your industry is because margins sort of vary depending on what you're, yeah, you're selling yeah. people. But... but you want to be able to, if something catastrophic happens, do the right thing by any one customer in the cost of whatever their order is. Mm -hmm. So let's just say, you know, it's a gadget and it totally gets destroyed and when you're trying to take it to the shipping truck, you want to make sure that it's like you have enough leeway that you could ship them the exact same thing, the exact same speed right away and it wouldn't put you in an uncomfortable place to do the right thing. Yeah. It's just to like get right by the customer because a lot of people are trying to make it really affordable for people up front. But then what happens is if something goes sideways, you don't have buffer for need, that. You don't have buffer. And like you, so you want to have buffer to always do the right thing under any circumstance, which the worst case scenario is the item is irrevocably lost and you have to eat it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that this is an important thing. And, you know, obviously it's hard to maybe do that for every weird package, but, you know, definitely make sure, you know, you, you don't make it so, like, if something goes wrong, you're going to start losing money with everyone that you mail out. Like, that's, that's, backers don't want that either, right? Or a common thing, I mean, the list can go on, but with hardware products, if you under, um, under quote development of that, there might be some hidden costs, like it takes more money to develop that final prototype or... Anything like that. So yes, I agree. You can't say, okay, well, it's going to cost twenty dollars, so I'll charge twenty dollars. Yeah. No. Yeah, and yeah, or you know, then that means it really pretended cost forty dollars because you know, what if you have to do it again? And you know, and and you shouldn't feel bad like if you do everything perfect the first time, which nobody ever has in the history of crowdfunding. No. So congratulations. <laughs> but you know, you end up with a little bit of extra money. I don't think that that's a bad thing, but like plan to spend it all basically, you know, because something's going to happen. Worst case scenario, you slightly make it better at the last moment or include another little yeah. extra accessory or something if you're feeling guilty about it. But, but uh, you know, so just make it easy for you to be able to do the right thing and have a good conscious about it. Which I love that. So I'm wondering, two last questions. Do you have any famous last words? Oh, okay. Um, famous last words. Uh, yes, I do. 
Great. And and my famous last word is, you know, certainly for your first Kickstarter project, you know, one thing I've learned in helping so many different project creators is like, you know, a a crowdfunding project is amazing, but it's not amazing because you get a bunch of money or you get a working product. The most important thing that you get is the backers that supported you. These are rabid customers that like money can't buy. In fact, they'll, the only way you get them is by them giving you money over the internet for an idea you haven't fully fleshed yeah. out yet. Um, so the most important thing, especially if it's your first time project, is just make those people happy. Do whatever you needs to happen to make those, make do right by those people. Because the amazing thing is, is that when you do your next project, they'll come back day one, two, and three. Right. And, you know, so I think a lot of project creators need to start thinking, even if it's still your first project, you want to start to think about it. It's about building your map, your sort of moss ball, you know, that's going to kind of roll down the hill. And mm-hmm. you, know, you want to think about the lifetime value of this backer and, and what does it mean to sort of have a supporter who, if they like the thing that you promised, which hopefully you're going to make an awesome thing and they, it is going to like fulfill their wildest dreams, that they're going to like day one be like, oh, Max has got a new thing. Like, I, I almost don't even care what it is. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. It's so cool. I, like, tell all my friends and show them my cool thing. And um, so, I mean, that's the most important thing you have is those rabid backers. So do whatever you need to do to just make them happy. Because you are creating a business, which is what I preach a lot. So Yeah, you're creating that. a business. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, 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 a, it's a new model for having a business, mm-hmm. too, because you can be a sustainable creator but have just a 1,000 people who love what you do. If those 1,000 people come out every single time you do anything, you're good to go. Like, you're now a person who makes... Awesome things. Whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, uh, that can be your day job. And uh, we have tons and tons of, of customers who, like, they have their little moss ball and they figure it out how to make it uh, an honest and repeatable thing. And they make a slightly different thing every time. But these, you know, group of 500, 1,000, 2,000 people just... You know, maybe not every single one pledges to every single time, but uh, it's totally a repeatable thing that you kind of watch grow. It's super cool. I love that. And where can people find out more about BackerKit? BackerKit.com is the best place to go for information about BackerKit. Um, Yeah, again, like if you're thinking about doing a project, please shoot us an email. We're happy to, you know, chat with everybody. We have, you know, honestly, there's a lot of good stuff on our blog. Um, we'll probably be pushing out a copy Good. of this very podcast to that blog, yes. uh, mailing Great. it out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think like, you know, with BackerKit, we're just, you know, the reason why my co-founder Rosanna and I started this company is just because like a lot of this stuff and doing a crowdfunding project is hard and that's okay. Like it's not meant to be easy. And I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about the hard parts mm-hmm. because sometimes they're silly problems that sound like Maybe you're embarrassed that, like, you had to have a VA collapse all the orders. The how trite does that sound? But at the same time, that's everything. When you're in that moment, that's everything. And it, and that can make or break you. And so Backer Kit's kind of about saying, hey, you know, maybe some of this stuff is kind of hard, but here's, like, a super awesome toolbox for you to help you um, solve all these problems as they come up. Because you're not going to know all the problems you're going to run into. It's just impossible. So. If only I were as good as pitching as you were. <laughs> Are. Not past tense. Cool. This has been amazing. Um, thanks for coming on the show. I learn something new every time. And Cool. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, that wraps up another episode. I have some amazing news for you guys. I just released a new freebie on the website. It is the ultimate crowdfunding 
product launch checklist. So if you are in the middle of planning your campaign, you should really go to crowdfundinguncut.com and grab that because I've laid out specific timelines before your launch, how and what the heck you should be doing to make sure that you are ready to go into your first Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign. So again, that's crowdfundinguncut.com. And apart from that, if you are digging the show, I have put a link to the show note, um, link to iTunes in the show notes. So I'd love it if you could go over and give us an honest review because it helps the show get found and stand out above the riffraff. So if you're seeing value, definitely do that. But until next time, I will see you then. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.